Indeed is here to help you finish 2020 strong. Indeed, the number one job site in the world. Get a free $75 credit at indeed.com slash AMR. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31, 2020. Look good, run gooder, and give gooder. Gooder makes glasses in a bevy of vibrant color combos and styles that flatter everyone and brighten up winter days. With their polarized lenses, gooders make most excellent holiday gifts. Stay tuned as we have a special holiday gooder discount just for our audience. What, what? Mother Runner, be kind to your feet. You spend all day on your feet, and one of the best ways to care for your feet is with your socks. Peds All Day Active No-Show Socks provide comfort, durability, and support for whatever you have planned. Available at peds.com, Target, Amazon, Walmart, and other retailers. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined by a new co-host today. It is Liz Waterstrat, one of the coaches in our Train Like a Mother Club. Welcome to the show, Liz. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here today. Yeah, yeah. So um, careful listeners will know that you've been on the show before, but not sitting in the co-host chair. So I just decided um, to bring you on board. So remind us a little bit about the ages of your kids and uh, a brief bit about your athletic background, please. Well, I have three kids. I have a 10-year-old boy, six-year-old girl, and a four-year-old boy. And they are Mm -hmm. all busy remote learning right now. Mm -hmm. And my athletic background, it's really quite unremarkable. Uh, I I think I can sum it up like this. You know how when you are in your senior year of high school and you're on the varsity team by default? I didn't even do that. I was too scared. So I was a unremarkable junior varsity cross country and track runner. And and that was it. Uh, And then in college, I was just a gym rat. I was the gal at the rec center on a Friday night on the Stairmaster. And real, I, I real hop and social life there, Liz. Well, yes, yes. It's yeah. I, I, uh, That's a whole other episode. That, yes, we can dive into that another time. Uh, <laughs> but then after, after college, I guess I just got sick of stairmastering and um, gym biking my, my life away. And there was a triathlon in my hometown and I, I actually have no idea what inspired me to do it, but I did it. Oh. And I guess the rest is history because I've done many since. Wow. And are you, uh, you live in Naperville, Illinois. Are you a native of Illinois? Well, I've been here for, let's see, 35 years. Prior to that, I grew up in New York, New, excuse me, New York City. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. What borough? Brooklyn. Oh, you've lost most of your accent. Yeah. But you know, I get to hear it every day through my mom. <laughs> right. Because your mother lives very close to you. She does just a few miles away, and she is a key player in our household with with uh, helping the kids and uh, helping with the remote learning. We can both maintain our jobs. Nice, nice. That's awesome to have her close. So she moved to the Chicago suburbs specifically for your family. No, she's she's been out here the whole time. So we we came out here when I was maybe in the fifth grade. She got remarried. Oh, um, Dad had gotcha. a job in Chicago, and so we we have been here. We have never strayed. Oh, all right. Okay. All right. So the move to Illinois was your, your mom's idea. Very good. So, all right. 
All right. So you and I were going to talk a little bit, you know, me give you a couple pointers about co-hosting. You're like, I can't talk. I'm going to Zoom Lights, taking the kids. And oh, that just took me back. I just loved going to Zoom Lights with my kids. And uh, I actually drove past where the um, Oregon Zoo is and saw them from the freeway. And I'm like, oh, maybe they're not too old as teenagers. Maybe we could still go in there. I'm like, no, that's not going to work. So so did you go into Chicago for the zoo lights? No, we went just a few towns over. There's a small zoo. And in fact, I would call it more of a farm than a zoo. But mm. uh, we go every year. It's free. And it's it's just oh. it's just big enough that my kids get through it without any major episodes. Uh-huh. And it was kind of neat this year because you needed a reservation. And so it was oh. really empty. Yeah. It meant that we could just be crazy and run around. And we did not see a single animal except for an owl, which was very appropriate. It was at night. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it was really exotic. <laughs> but you but you saw the the lights done up to look like animals like yes. alligators opening oh closing gosh. their mouths and storks standing on one leg no two legs no one leg that type yes. of thing yes all the different like the igloos and and uh the christmas trees and so so the kids the kids like it and it's just great to get them outside uh at this yeah. time of the year yeah it's so funny because it um because of thinking about you at zoo lights it's made me think about it kind of all week and we always have one very cold but clear week in december and it's always windy and it's usually not windy in portland and so i just always remember being like okay it's 37 which is very cold by portland standards <laughs> or it, sometimes it'd be like you know in the 20s it's like uh, but it's not raining so i guess we need to go <laughs> So, so now I'm th- th- this weather is very reminiscent of many trips to zoo lights. And um, I've actually, I have been to the Brooklyn Zoo um, with my older daughter. My, when I visited my parents who lived in Stanford, Connecticut, my mom oh. still does. And my sister's now ex-husband, he, I think he might've grown up in Brooklyn or he grew up, I think in the city. And so he wanted to take, um, Phoebe, my older daughter, and me in to see the zoo lights there. And so that was, you know, that was a big deal to go into the, to drive into the city and go to that zoo. So, um, yeah, yeah. So um, I don't think my teens are going to do it though. So, and we don't have a zoo membership anymore. So, Um, so anyway, so, well, today's topic has nothing to do with zoo lights. It is about anxiety, both in life and running, because, so I was thinking about, you know, those are not two parallel lines, but they intersect and they weave together. And, you know, anxiety is not a new issue for women, but we also want to recognize that anxiety levels for many of us have cranked up to an 11 during the pandemic. So after this brief break, Liz and I will talk with a mental health professional about anxiety. Then Liz will swap from being co-host to being a guest so I can interview her about dealing with anxiety as it relates to running. This is definitely a show you want to stick with. As runners, some of us strive for speed. It's elusive, and it needs to be combined with efficiency to make the most of it. That's why when you need to hire great employees as fast as possible, you need to turn to the team at Indeed. Indeed is the premier job site on the planet with more total visits than any other job site. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. 
You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching with candidates instantly delivers a short list of qualified candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visit Indeed each month. That's according to something called Comscore Total Visits. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it, say it with me, fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com AMR. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com AMR. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31, 2020. I'm a creature of habit. So when I find a product that fits with my active lifestyle and makes me feel better, I stick with it. Like Ped's all-day active no-show socks. I got introduced to them this fall, and now I wear them for all my daily activities. At my desk, running errands, walking the dog. And my feet are grateful for them. Especially the arch compression. It's subtle, but my high arches get a bit of relief after a morning run when I pull on my Ped's for the day. Ped's all-day active no-show socks are made from this wonderful breathable mesh that keep my feet warm without making them a soupy, sweaty mess. My bony size 10 feet appreciate the foot-forming fit. Oh, say that three times fast. With other Ped's I've tried, my shorty boots, clogs, or vans eat them, but Ped's stay perfectly and comfortably in place all day. Plus, they are so durable. I'll cop to wearing them for a few days in a row without tossing them in the wash, but when they come out, they're as good as new. Another reason I'm buying more? Both of my teen daughters discovered them, and they now raid my sock drawer. Arg! I did, however, talk my younger daughter into returning a pair of black ones, which I count as a big win. Ped's all-day active no-show socks are available at retailers like Walmart, Target, Amazon, and on peds.com. That's P-E-D-S dot com. Look good, run gooder. If you're a regular listener of our show, you'll remember from this summer what a big fan of gooder glasses I am. The polarized lenses protect my eyes from the sun's damaging rays, whether it's the bright summer sun or the paler winter one. The polarization is just one reason you should give Gooder this holiday season. I mean, let's face it, everyone on your list loves cute items, and Gooders are cute AF. Frames are available in a holiday cornucopia of colors, including bright red, greens, yellow, white, blues, pinks, and more. Or go truly bold with pattern frames like fashionable argyles. My teens tell me they're all the rage these days. Or my favorite, a flower-flecked pair of the runway style called Freshly Picked Cerulean. Give gooders to the runners and golfers on your shopping list. And someone's stocking to your full-of-attitude teen who, heck, can at least wear them as blue-blocking shades while playing video games. Basically, give gooders to anyone who has good style or needs a little style. And now, cue the choir of angels. We have a gooder discount code. Here's how it works. Buy one pair of any regularly priced sunglasses or glasses and get one pair of any regularly priced sunglasses or glasses for 50% off. Yes, that is buy one pair, get another one for 50% off. Limited orders, one per customer, yet there's no limit on the uses per customer order. This means that you can only place one order, but the order can include as many pairs of Gooder glasses as you want. Enter code AMR at checkout at Gooder.com to get this deal. To repeat, that's code AMR at G-O-O-D-R dot com. 
This screaming deal expires December 31, 2020, so head right now to Gooder.com and use code AMR. Our first guest joined me on the show in July to talk about mental games to play while running. And uh, she's also talked with Dimity about running and grief on our sister program, AMR Trains. Her name is Kate Kneifel. She's a mother runner as well as a therapist in Carmel, Indiana. And in her practice, Kate helps individuals and couples recognize the challenges in their lives and helps them get unstuck and move forward, which is always what we want to do in life. Um, So welcome back, Kate. It's always wonderful to talk with you. Hello. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, good, good. So Kate, remind us of the ages of your children. Yes. So I am in the high school range right now. So I have a daughter. She's a senior. And then my son is a freshman. All righty. All right. So I know you recently came back from an injury doing our return to running program in the Train Like a Mother Club. Um, How is your return to running going? Yes. Well, it has gone swimmingly um, Mm -hmm. until I hit a minor bump. So I actually, the program has been fantastic. I have done um, all four weeks. Now, what was interesting is for the last week, as is the case with so many training programs, right? You get to that next level and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know. Can I do this? Is this okay? Mm -hmm. And I got to the last day. And then on the last day, I had some pain. Um, so I'm kind of backing things up a little bit. Um, I'm actually, I think I spoke with Liz via Facebook. I'm kind of looking at that. Um, but you know, what's really nice about the program. And, you know, if you've been a runner for a while, you know, we all know these little bumps come up, but Mm -hmm. I've gotten through them before. And it's nice to have a training plan to go back to, to feel like you have some structure, um, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to move forward. So it's been Mm -hmm. great. Oh, good. Good, good. I, I don't know about you, but I find that, you know, thinking about the topic of anxiety, that my days are sort of up and down. You know, some days I feel like I'm totally equipped to handle it. Other days I, I just feel really overwhelmed by the uncertainty and, and the anxiety of, of the, the worldwide situation. And I'm, I'm just wondering, you as a therapist, how are you dealing with this? Yeah, well... First of all, just to normalize what you were feeling, I think that is what we are all feeling, you know, just that up and down. And sometimes it's really hard to know day to day how you are going to feel or even, you know, hour to hour. Mm -hmm. I had, um, I had a friend tell me that it it felt like sometimes her emotions felt like marbles in a box. (laughs) And I thought, oh my gosh, what a good description, you know, um, So as far as uh, how I am dealing with it, you know, as a therapist, you know, I'm human, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I feel all the feelings. I feel all the anxiety, um, the ups and downs they're going on in my house, you know, right now um, in the Midwest in Indiana, we're Mm -hmm. having, you know, spikes. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. I have two high schoolers that already have ups and downs in their emotions. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we've got that going on, you know, with, with COVID and the different situation. But I think, you know, for me, I know now, you know, it's one benefit that I'm super grateful is like, wow, this is a great time to be a therapist. A great <laughs> time to have these strategies. I mean, I've been working with these strategies. I specialize in anxiety um, and I, I do a lot of trauma work. 
And so, you know, I use those same strategies. So the same strategies that I'm working with, with my clients, Mm -hmm. I am working with them, you know, on my own. I'm not some superhuman who doesn't feel things or who just gets over things really quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm, you know, having to have a lot of compassion and flexibility um, Mm -hmm. and a little bit more intention as we're navigating, you know, these uncertain times. Yeah. Well, that's, it's good to know you're human, Kate, because you know, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you need to lay on your own couch and, and talk yourself down, maybe. <laughs> yes. Oh, absolutely. Many times. <laughs> um, so as we so often do, we drew questions from our Facebook audience. So I want to lead with one from Lynn that for me really resonates. She says, I've never thought of myself as a particularly anxious person, but dot, 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 2020, I do try to practice meditation and find it helps, but do you have any other advice for someone who is new to feeling overwhelmed by what used to be normal circumstances and activities? And she cites like grocery shopping, running in more populated areas. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Well, this, you know, this is a really good question. Um, And I guess, you know, the one thing that I want to just reinforce or maybe encourage, um, who's this Lynn, with Mm -hmm. meditation Mm-hmm. is, you know, meditation is hugely helpful for dealing with challenging emotions and uncertain times. So even if she is doing just five minutes of meditation a day, even five minutes can be extremely helpful. I mean, meditation is free. There's all kinds of free apps out there. Um, you can do it in all kinds of ways. Meditation does not mean being super Zen and having your mind being totally clear and just feeling like you're floating on air. That is not what meditation is. But what it does, um, which is why I just want to take a minute to encourage her to continue and anyone else, mm-hmm. is meditation allows us to make some space for the difficult stuff that is showing up. Mm -hmm. because what we inherently want to do when we have difficult thoughts and feelings that are coming up, especially if you are someone who's not used to that, right? Like, especially if you're someone like, I don't normally feel anxiety, but wow, this is new to me. Or I'm having like these issues with going to the grocery store. I've never felt this way. Is it helps you to make space when in reality, what we often do is we tend to like obsess about hard stuff. We want to stuff it down, pretend it's not there, or we want to like bounce it off to somebody else. So meditation, it allows you, it's your mind practicing making space. So anxious thoughts come up. They can be like leaves on a stream. Oh, there's, there's one. There's that worry about work. Oh, there's the worry about getting COVID. Oh, there's the worry that my kids will never leave the house. I will never have a moment of peace <laughs> again, right? Like, yeah. There it goes down the stream, down the stream, right? Uh-huh. So that's the first thing that I just want to reiterate. Now, when I'm talking about anxiety or, you know, any kind of challenging emotion though, I always talk about two foundations. And so, especially for someone who maybe overwhelm isn't a norm for them or feeling anxiety isn't a norm. Um, I think it's important to lay down these foundations because without these foundations, you can use any kind of strategy and it is not going to work. So the two foundations are one, your feelings Mm 
are not your enemy. Mm. Okay. So the fact that you are having feelings of overwhelm or feelings of anxiety, we are human beings. We are meant, we are built to experience the full continuum of emotions. <laughs> so that means it means the really challenging stuff. It means the really positive feel good stuff, but we are meant to feel it all. That is what, that is part of being human. Now, when we have this idea, which I feel like, you know, really gets pushed out there sometimes by self-help or even by therapists, like feel good, feel great all the time, you know, all of those things. It sets us up for failure almost because then when we feel overwhelmed or we feel anxiety, we sort of freak out mm. and we have this resistance and we feel like we need to make it go away. Now, mm. what we focus on and what I focus on a lot when I'm working with clients who have really high anxiety is we're not trying to make it go away because sometimes we get then caught up in control, all these different ways to control, control, control. And then mm -hmm. that can lead to more and more anxiety. Mm -hmm. Instead, what are we, what we're trying to do is how can I make space for this? How can I allow? Yes. You know, right now I, my heart is beating fast. Yes. My face is flush. Yes. You know, I want to get out of the grocery store. How mm -hmm. can I be with that feeling? And do what I need to do next, whether it is, okay, maybe I think I need to leave or, okay, this is when I'm going to, you know, focus on my breathing. I'm going to recognize where things are in my body so that I can continue the shopping. Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. the first thing is just recognizing that your feelings aren't your, aren't your enemy. Mm -hmm. And then the second place is being able to engage in whatever you're feeling from a place of curiosity mm. and compassion versus judgment, right, wrong, good or bad. I shouldn't be feeling overwhelmed. What's my problem? It's just the grocery store, whatever it is, you can use any strategy, but if you are using it from a place of judgment, right? I'm like, this feeling is good or bad. I'm good or bad. They're good or bad. This is working. This isn't working versus curiosity. Okay what's going on here? If I had this feeling before, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. what do I know to do? Those are some things that are really important just as foundations as you move forward with navigating some of those emotions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have to put in a um, plug and say that usually I, um, meditate when I wake up, but sometimes, you know, I run out of time. And um, so mm -hmm. I, I like the 10 minute daily calm. And so yesterday I had to go pick my daughter up. She had an appointment and I got there early because traffic wasn't nearly as bad as I anticipated. And I'm like, Hey, I'm going to do the daily calm in my car. Yes. <laughs> and it's the second time I've done it. I did it before I went swimming a couple of weeks ago. And I don't know, the acoustics are really nice in the car. And like, I just also liked that I didn't just turn to my phone and like start scrolling through, you know, the New York Times or Instagram or whatever. So yes. And yeah. when you're doing it in those type of situations, like if you're doing it proactively, then you have, it's like you're giving yourself this extra margin. Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's like this mm -hmm. extra margin. So if anything else comes up, okay, I've got the space for it. Like yeah. I, I've 
And so it's, it's great to do it proactively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. So I really connect with everything you're saying. You know, one of the things that I remind my athletes of is, is that, you know, you, you don't always have to feel great throughout a race in order to race well and to just let the feelings come and go and to let, you know, let the time pass and let things settle um, rather than getting, um, like you said, having all that judgment about, oh, no, this is starting to feel hard or I'm starting to worry about how I'm doing. So really good stuff. Um, that connects a lot with me as an athlete and a coach. Um, the next question we have is from Brenda, and, and these words could have come out of my own mouth here. She says, my anxiety comes and goes more so lately with the pandemic. I feel it as a weight, like an elephant sitting on my chest, and I also have issues with focus. It usually lasts for hours and occasionally will last a few days. At what point should you look for professional treatment? Yeah, okay, so two things there. So the the looking for professional treatment. And then um, I'd like to offer her a strategy to use for, you know, that, those body sensations, but mm-hmm. when to look for professional treatment, you know, that really varies. I mean, you were talking to someone who believes very struggling in therapy. I, you know, I'm a counselor, I believe very struggling in therapy. And so I, I truly believe that everyone can benefit from seeing a counselor or pursuing therapy you know, at some point in their life. I mean, to me, your mental health is like your physical health. You have Mm -hmm. to go to the doctor. There are going to be different times that you might need to see, you know, a therapist or a coach at different times, just enabling you to move forward in the direction that you want to move forward in life. Now, having said that, there are times, of course, where um, therapy becomes more important. So one of the guidelines that we use is, is it time for me to to go to therapy? Is, are these sensations, are these different episodes, you know, she's talking about sometimes it lasts for days and that it's, you know, um, impeding her focus. If it is, you know, interrupting your daily life, if it is um, getting in the way of aspects of your life that you value. So for example, Has she noticed a change in her relationships? Is it impacting her work? Is she no longer doing the things that she has loved to do before? So if she's a runner and she finds, you know what? When I go to run, I start to panic about the heaviness in my chest. And so now I've stopped running. When your life starts getting smaller and smaller and more and more constricted, that is a time where we suggest, you know, seeking professional help. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So can I offer, can I offer a suggestion for, okay. So, so one of the things, you know, I, I talk about making space for things and, you know, that can sound, that sounds good, but how do you do that concretely? Like, especially with, if you're talking here about, I feel like I have an elephant sitting on my chest. Well, Mm -hmm. thanks, Kate. Like, how do I make space for that? So let's talk about (laughs) like literally the elephant in the room. Okay. So one thing that you'll hear me do, and sometimes is I will use sense of humor. Like, okay, so you've got the elephant on your chest. Like Dumbo has arrived. Okay. (laughs) That is one way to make space. But knowing that often when you're feeling that way, it can cause a lot of pain. Another thing that you can do is this is a strategy. It's, it's just what we call an allowing strategy, okay? Hmm. 
So what, what you would do is wherever you're feeling the anxiety in your body, what you want to do is first note it. Where are you feeling it? Oh, it's like, it's right on my chest. It's very heavy. Okay. Then I want you to imagine you have one of those thick, like Sharpie markers. And I want you to imagine just outlining it where you feel it in your body. Okay. So make a big, thick, black outline. Then what I want you to do is color it in, pick a color. So sometimes people want to pick a color that represents the pain of the elephant, of Dumbo sitting on the chest. Other people might want, you know, they might want, I really like pink or gold, like a golden color. I would like some healing, whatever works for you. It doesn't, there's no right or wrong, pick the color. And then it can sometimes help then to add a texture. So maybe it's gold, sparkly water. Maybe it's pink fog, okay? And then what I'll encourage people to do, and as you're listening, you can even do this if you're doing it along, is place your hands on the part of your body that you feel it. And the reason I say this is because it can just help kind of activate your nervous system that you're paying attention to that. Mm -hmm. um, it just helps with the visualization. So for me, right now I've got my hands on my chest. And what you're gonna do is when you inhale, you are going to imagine stretching that blob out as far as it can go with that spot on your body. That's with the inhale and with the exhale, it's gonna go back to just its original size. So again, we're not trying to control, we're not trying to shrink, we're not trying to make it go away. You are literally breathing into that feeling with the inhale. So you take an inhale in and I'll like stretch my hands across my chest and then exhale out. And what people will notice is just being able to breathe in and out of that feeling. Almost like like when I was in middle school, that's what they told us to do. I don't know, Liz, is that something that you tell people to do with like if they get a side cramp, like to breathe into it if they get a cramp with breathing? Absolutely. Take a deep yeah. breath, slowly yeah. exhale. There's just something, and I'm, I'm not even sure there's any research that supports that as a strategy, <laughs> but it sure does that, you know, it sure does help. Yes, absolutely. I just had that thought as we were talking about it. This this strategy does the same thing. So it can work if you're having wherever you're noticing it in your body. And the word that I give people so that we're not judging it or we're not, is just if it's really intense to say, wow, that's interesting. Like, mm. oof, I breathe in four times and it is, it feels very heavy. Wow. Right. And being able to stay with it. But what most people find is that when you make space for something and you're not pushing against, you're not resisting, you're not trying to make it go away, it lifts a little bit. Mm. And any kind of breathing that we are doing is really good for our nervous system. So any kind of intentional breathing, our nervous system, when we get anxious, it sort of flares up like a porcupine. <laughs> and when we do some nice deep breathing that we're not trying to control things, it's kind of like telling our body, oh, you know, we're safe because I can do this, you know, slow breathing and no tiger has come to eat me. <laughs> so it, it literally calms your nervous system down. 
We've got a whole menagerie. We've got the elephant. We've got a tiger. We've got a porcupine. <laughs> I know. It's it's I zoo like lights. Visual, Sarah. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where's the owl? Yeah. <laughs> Working owl in. Oh no, that's very good. That's very. I feel calmer just listening to you talk about it. Um, so we had a question from Gina, and there were a couple other people who asked very similar questions. Um, Gina says that she has two daughters who struggle with anxiety and she herself doesn't. And so she wants to know how she can help them. And she put help them in quotation marks. So, you know, what does she need to understand about anxiety and what resources are there available for her to learn more? Yeah. Well, you know, this is, this is a really good question because I do think there are some differences. And now I'm assuming here that her daughters might be teens or younger. Is that I envision them as teenagers because okay. that's, that's what my two daughters are. <laughs> okay. Struggle with anxiety. Yes. So, oh, okay. uh, yeah. so that's kind of what I wanted to go with. Now, um, I worked for many years in a very large high school here with over 5,000 students wow. um, as um, a high school social worker for ages 10 to 12. And so I've worked with a lot of teens. Now, there are some differences with, with teens and anxiety. Now, the first thing, you know, she said, you know, what do I need to understand about anxiety? I think being able to understand, you know, we are all born with different default settings. Mm. And some of us, you know, on that anxiety continuum, we might just be at, you know, on that higher range. And that is fine because the flip side of anxiety tends to be, you know, many people who experience high anxiety also um, can also be very creative people. Mm -hmm. They can be very deep feelers. They can Mm -hmm. have very um, strong relationships and feel like the beauty of nature and the world in more intense ways too. So one, it's okay to know that there's no like good or bad with that default, but it can be helpful to know that if, if her girls both tend to have higher anxiety, then just recognizing that and not necessarily faulting them for it or saying, you know, I don't know what your problem is. You know, I just do this and I don't understand why this is an issue, right? So being able to understand that we all have those different levels of defaults. And as far as, you know, how you can help them, um, with teens, one of the biggest things, and, you know, I kind of sound like a broken record or like an old lady with this, <laughs> but sleep schedules Mm. and social media have a very big impact on teens. Mm -hmm. And so those are always the first thing. If I am working with a teen who's experiencing a lot of high anxiety, I worked with a lot of teens who would um, be in school and have panic attacks, you know, things of that nature. Those are things that I'm looking at. Are they getting sleep? Are they staying up until two o'clock in the morning working on a paper or presentation or gaming or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. you know, what does their social media time look like? We know that there is a very high correlation between time spent on social media and anxiety for certain teens, right? Some teens that might not impact them, but many teens it does. And just keeping some kind of basic schedule for teens is really important. You know, when we're talking about kind of those foundations, that is important. Now, as a parent, it's also important to know that the time of the year 
impacts teens a lot too. Mm. So, you know, when we're talking about, so for example, and, and you don't have to know all of these things, but it can help to have a sense of empathy, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, right now, my daughter is a senior and many people are starting to find out if they got into the college they wanted to get into or not. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a lot of conversations about that. Anxiety tends to go up at that time. Um, you know, when we have finals, when we have, I worked at a high school that um, there were the really big competitions. Mm-hmm. So I would have like band kids would come down, have very high anxiety before these competitions. And being able to recognize that and validate that and really just listen empathetically. One of the biggest things just not to do that teens would come in and they would say, my parents just don't understand. You know, they tell me high school is supposed to be the best time and I don't really have any big problems and I'm going to have bigger problems when I'm an adult. And, you know, it's not helpful. It is not helpful. That is dismissive, but being able to make space and, you know, provide some of those foundations for them, um, being able to help, you know, walk them through what you need, what is going on um, can be really helpful. Um, As far as books, there are just a couple that I have that might be um, helpful. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, One that I recommend is um, any book on um, highly sensitive people. Mm -hmm. So when she's saying both of her girls have, um, you know, higher anxiety, a lot of times um, when a lot of the teens that I've worked with both in the high school and in my practice also um, meet a lot of the criteria for what's called highly, a highly sensitive person or highly sensitive child. Mm -hmm. And, um, there are some really good resources out there on how to parent children who are highly sensitive, which is not a negative thing. It's a really beautiful thing. It is a strength, but there are some different pieces to know about parenting those kids that can be helpful. Um, Another book specifically for girls is called Untangled. um, And it's by um, Lisa Damore. I think that's how you pronounce her last name. Mm -hmm. Um, And then another one is called Anxious Kids, Anxious Parents, and Mm. it's by Lynn Lyons and Reed Wilson. Um, That one, I don't like the title because most parents don't want to say they're anxious. And so I feel like Mm -hmm. people, people won't pick it up. But what's really good about that book is it breaks down very specific strategies and conversations that you can have with your child, whether your child is five years old or 18 years old. So it has a lot of concrete um, strategies. It breaks it down by um, chapter that you Mm. can use that I think um, she might find really helpful. Good, good, good. Yeah. Bringing the focus now back to uh, women and runners, Jackie had some really great questions about using exercise for stress relief. Uh, You know, probably the stress we have worrying about our, our anxious children here. Um, but she's wondering, you know, is it really just running away from your problem? And she's wondering, is that a good thing or a bad thing in the long run? And she's wondering, how can you frame running in a healthy light so it's, it's more of a tool to deal with stress 
Uh, and so, so that way, you know, if let's say something comes up in life or an injury happens and you no longer have that stress release or that, that tool of running, that you won't be so lost. Yeah, well, you know, running, I mean, the two things that I often talk about, you know, just as basic strategies that, you know, have the most kind of bang for your buck are meditation and exercise. So there have been so many, um, so many studies that talk about and look at the changes in your brain when you are doing, you know, moderate exercise, which running falls in, into that. And that there, it changes your brain in the same way that medications would. So this concern about um, overusing running or running away from your problems, I'm not as concerned about people using running to do that. Now, mm-hmm. there, are, there are a couple of situations though that I think that we can talk about. So, because I just wanna say like, I don't, running tends to be such a good thing for people. Now, is there a way that you could use it to kind of run away from your problems or overtrain? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, um, Liz, I'm sure you work with this a lot and Sarah, that you work with people who are overtraining, right? They're working too hard. Mm-hmm. They're very type A um, control strategies are something they want to be able to control. And so they can control the run. So mm-hmm. they're going to run farther or faster or more and think that that is better. Mm-hmm. Now, the one time that I, I think that we have to be careful about with running is, are you using running to not address or kind of like this person was saying, run away from these other feelings that are coming up, right? Mm-hmm. And if that is the case, you can actually use running to help yourself process through some of that stuff that maybe you have been avoiding. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it might be, um, just being a little bit intentional about it. So at the beginning of your run, thinking about what is bothering me instead of stuffing it. Right. So mm-hmm. let's say you had an argument with your spouse, you know, we're all like mm-hmm. at home with everybody up in everybody else's business all the time. And you have an argument and you're upset instead of going out to a run and, you know, I'm so mad and I'm just going to avoid him and he is terrible or whatever it is. I can't relate at all. I don't know. What <laughs> but it might be saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to offer up on this run, like hold it gently, like in my hands, if my hands are held up, man, that argument really upset me, right? Mm-hmm. Like what might be going on there and use your run, maybe turn off your music if that might be something that's helpful, don't listen to a podcast, use your run and see what comes up in those moments instead of a way to kind of stuff and avoid what's going on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is such great advice uh, just for life and just for, for all the runners out there. Um, Just to get in touch with how they're feeling and just like learn to sit with it. 
uh, and not yeah. engage in all of the distractions. And it's so important thinking about even for race day, you know, when, when the race gets really hard and you're so used to listening to music all the time and it's not there, those feelings come up, that anxiety comes up and you don't know what to do with it. So these are great strategies that you're giving just for life and running. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And running actually helps your nervous system. We know that unprocessed emotions, they sit in your body. So I just want to normalize, like, it makes sense that there might be this, you kind of want to run away from emotions. But as you're running, those emotions might come up. And it's actually really a good time to think about it or let it come, because it will tend to move through faster. Hmm. So like I had an it, it, I had an experience actually with doing the heart rate training program. Um, mm-hmm. The first time I did it, um, I was training for a half marathon and my dad went in for a surgery for heart surgery and had major complications. Mm. And as a result was put into a medically induced coma. Wow. And he was in intensive care. It, we were at the hospital. I, I left work for some time. And during those runs, those early morning runs, I would start off and I would feel very heavy. And then I would run. And you know what? About 20 minutes in, I would feel the emotion come up. And each run, I would be out. It'd be like five o'clock in the morning. It was dark. No one was out. And I would sob. I'd be running and sobbing for like three to five minutes, but then it was done. Right. Mm. And then because I let myself feel it, I was able to move on to, but my body is strong. We're going to get through this. This is what today holds versus if I just said, nope, going to do the training, not going to feel the feelings. I don't have time for that. That emotion just builds and builds and builds. And then we're like little pressure cookers. Um, and that is not beneficial. That, that is a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so a question from Nia um, that I'd like Kate to answer and then Coach Liz, you chime in. Um, because we heard this from a lot of people that um, Nia admits, she says, I experience anxiety pretty much before every single run and every single run is in uppercase letters. She has no idea why, <laughs> no idea why it's a deep set default that she's not a good runner and that she'll not be able to complete the run. And she says, by the way, she runs four to five times a week. She recently did a marathon. So, I mean, she, she is statistically proven that she can do those runs. Um, and she says she can usually overcome the anxious feeling, but sometimes it affects her runs and makes her quite upset can you recommend anything that might help? And like I said, we just heard that from so many people. And we heard from other people who said that they could get out and do shorter runs, but it was kind of the, you know, if they were training for something specific, it was those longer runs that really would just play a mind game with them. So what do you ladies suggest? Kate, you go first. Sure. Well, I guess I would say, you know, there's good news and bad news. Um, (laughs) The good news is, When you are somebody who is growing, when you are challenging yourself, when you're moving into normal territory, part of that normal process is some of that um, anxiety or like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Who do I think I am? I can't do this or, right? I call it the swamp. 
Mm. Right? So that when we're moving forward and when we're doing things, um, you know, whether it's growing or just like, it's still maybe hard for her to believe that she is actually a runner. Then a lot of times we experience that discomfort. Our brain likes things to be easy. So when we move into hard things, sometimes our brain throws a little temper tantrum. So one of the things that I recommend to do sometimes is to externalize that, that voice, that feeling, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, you know, when, when that kind of like nasty voice starts going, I call it the gremlins. (laughs) So (laughs) those are my gremlins, right? And so how you make space for it is instead of kind of obsessing about it and being like, oh crap, here it goes. I have that feeling again. What's my problem? This happens every time. When is this going to go away? Like all of those things, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of doing that, being able to externalize it and say, okay, they're, they're the gremlins. Like they are having a heyday. It's, you know, this run that I've got. And here they are. They like to tell me that I suck as a runner or that I'm not really going to do a good job. I got you gremlins. Like I hear you. Yep. Yep. (laughs) I hear you duly noted. I'm still doing the run. Okay. Being able to kind of make space for it in that way. Now, one other strategy, you know, I'm just trying to give kind of some different things to use Mm -hmm. is, um, to be able to kind of desensitize it. And so one of the ways that you can do this now, some people are going to be like, there's no way I'm going to do that. That might make me feel worse, but I'm just going to keep an open mind and be curious. Okay. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you can do is set a timer for either 30 seconds or a minute. And whatever that critical voice is telling you, or kind of that anxiety voice, whatever it is, if it's saying, you know, I'm not a good runner, I suck at running, I suck at running, like horrible runner, horrible runner, is just to say it over and over and over and over and over again for 30 seconds. And as you say it, say it in different voices, whisper it, slow it down. So it might be, I am a terrible runner. I'm a terrible runner. I'm a terrible runner. I'm a terrible runner. Terrible, 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 terrible runner. Terrible, terrible runner. Horse are all fun. Horse are all fun. Able And what that does is it sounds ridiculous. But it gives, again, it is another strategy to give some space. You don't have to control that, but you can recognize it. And then being able to focus on what is true. What is true? I ran a marathon. What is true? I'm doing the stinking run today. I will do the run tomorrow, right? But being able to address it in that way it can be helpful sometimes. Excellent. All right, Liz. What's your advice on this question from Nia? Very, very similar to uh, what Kate was saying. And I'll start with one of the things she just ended with. And I call it success history search. When those Mm. doubts Mm. and anxieties come up and, and I can't do this, go back through your training log, go back through your racing log, show yourself, remind yourself of all the times you have done it. Uh, and then, you know, when you're out there and you start to have these, these thoughts that, you know, you're not good enough or, or you can't do it, um, like Kate suggested, just run with them, 
You, you don't have to listen to them. You can just let that chatter mm. run in the background. And it's important for people to know that athletes of all levels experience this. It's not like the faster you get, the, the more positive your mindset gets. It's, it's, <laughs> it's totally normal and it doesn't signal that there's something wrong with you or that you need to stop. So, you know, personally, when I go through this, I just, I take those thoughts and I say, all right, fair, I hear you. Now come run with me. <laughs> come keep up with me. And let's see how you're feeling in a few miles. Because you know what? I know I'm a greedy person and I know I'm going to outlast most people and I'm going to outlast, you know, so it's just these conversations that you have to kind of play around with in your head. And like Kate has said all along, just be curious about these feelings, play around with them. Don't think you have to shoo them away, work with them. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think, you know, just to piggyback on that for a minute, to recognize that both feelings can exist. I can be a gritty person and experience this, this um, before run anxiety. They both can exist. I can hold both can be really helpful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I um, have run, I guess, 14 marathons and I totally relate it to Nia's question. I'm like, oh yeah, that, wait, I think I'm going to run where on my run? Like who, who thinks, why do I think I can do that? So, so um, like you said, Kate, or I guess it was Liz, you know, no matter what level of runner, you just, those, those um, voices and emotions sometimes just sh- pop up and you gotta, gotta deal with them. So, well, Kate, we are going to let you go, but I realized while you were talking that I completely neglected to mention your fabulous new podcast in the introduction so that if people want to hear more of your sage calming (laughs) vice, they can tune into Full of Shift. Yes. Um, It's really, really good. And so thank you so much for joining us, Kate. Like I said, it's always a delight to talk to you. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. Take good care. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. Liz, you switching that hat? You switching that hat of yours? Yes. From the co-host hat to the... Okay, you've done it. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Yes. <laughs> All right. Okay. So you, when we talked about the topic of this, you confided in me that you said years ago as a mom, business owner, and head of household, you'd find yourself on Sunday nights overwhelmingly anxious about the week ahead. And then you had a paradigm shift. So can you talk about how you reframed anxiety and your reaction to it that helps you cope, continue, and thrive? Sure. I think my most successful strategy, my survival, let's be honest, survival strategy is taking things one day at a time. I used Mm -hmm. to sit down on a Sunday night and think to myself, how, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do my work and get the kid one, kid two to piano and and kid one to swimming and, and, and run myself and keep the house clean. So I I said, I had to stop no more digital planners and, and looking too far ahead. I take it day by day. And sometimes people in my life try to email me about what's coming up a few days ahead. And I said, Oh no, 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 no. The night before you reach out to me and then let's talk about it. Sometimes the morning of, um, and and that way, you know, I I kind of operate from this place of if you set the bar so low, you can't help but trip over it. And, (laughs) and then you feel that little boost of success. Like I did it. You know, I, I reached the lowest common denominator. I win the day. And then you just build on that for the next day. Um, But, you know, during this whole pandemic, I, I think, 
something that has really helped me even just get through day to day. Because sometimes there's been good days and there's been not so good days. Is mm-hmm. just ending every day with this idea of tomorrow will be better, you know, hope. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, hope doesn't have to be wishy-washy. It can just be that feeling of things will get better. Things will look up from here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, Liz, I have to say, listening to you say about the, like, when people get in touch with you a couple of days ahead of time, I'm like, that's why Liz is the perfect new occasional co-host because <laughs> it's like, hey, if you're going to expect show notes from me any more than the night beforehand, you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> We can definitely work together. <laughs> and, and let's be honest, Sarah, I opened those show notes sitting in a doctor's office today at 1.15 p.m. So <laughs> you never have to worry about getting them to me in advance because it's, it's sometimes when you, you can over-prepare and that creates even more anxiety. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this is going to work out really well having <laughs> you go sometime. Yay! Um, so, and also when we talked about this episode, you told me that you teach your athletes and members of our training program to trust themselves. You said in an email, we learn to trust ourselves by doing things in training that fill up our toolbox. Grit, can-do attitude, persistence, resilience, flexibility. So how do you see those attributes helping athletes in races and in life? It's all about just getting out there and doing the difficult thing. You can think about it, you can plan it, you can read a book about it and talk to your friends about it. But at some point, you just have to get out there and give yourself a chance and mm-hmm. not look ahead to, you know, for, the, for those who are struggling with going out for long runs, don't even think of it as a long run. Just say, I'm going to go run today. And at mm. the 20 minute mark, I'm going to assess, how's it going? How do I feel? Do I feel better than when I started? And little by little, you start to put those things in your toolbox. Like I persisted today on a day when I wasn't really feeling it at the start, or mm. it was 45 and raining and, and I went out there and did my run and that makes me grittier. So you just mm. have to get out there and do it, which I know is, is really hard. But you know, someone told me years ago, going through something difficult, the only way through it is through it. Very mm-hmm. simple advice. Very true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So true. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So I called some Facebook questions for you. Um, so Jenny uh, talks about that um, she was sidelined, an injury sidelined her running two years ago. Before that, she was running six days a week help control her anxiety. She admits it was a coping skill, which I think we all probably would agree to that. Um, So that she's been unable to go back to daily high impact exercise so that she can handle at most a couple miles, two or maybe three days spaced out during the week without it becoming too much. She says that her anxiety has skyrocketed and she feels like she has no outlet. So we sort of touched upon this when talking to Kate, but um, so how do you find the balance and peace with shorter runs and fewer of them? This is really tough. And anyone who's ever been injured knows exactly what Jenny is going through. Um, you know, the, the first obvious solution here is to find some cross training, which I know is really hard right now. There's not as much access to gyms. And sometimes people just mm-hmm. don't have the resources for cross training, even at their own home. But I would say, mm-hmm. you know, look to what you can do. When things are taken away from us and, and we start to mourn what we've lost, you know, it's, it's really helpful to, you know, when I'm injured, I'll sit down and I'll write out, okay, what can I do? Can I bike? Can I row? Can I swim? Can I do Pilates? And then that way it goes from, well, I can't run to, well, I can do these 10 other things. And, and mm-hmm. they, they kind of fill that space a little bit. 
Um, and, and I know that there's no replacement though for a run. So it might be that, you know, she, she just has to shift her, her attention to these other cross training outlets for a little while, or just like Kate mentioned, just give yourself the space to mourn what you've lost there. Um, and I think she might find that once she does that, she might let go of some of that anxiety that she has, uh, you know, be, because it'll become more okay for her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So we have a related question from Kimberly who admits that she's a healthcare worker and she says that she has anxiety if she misses a run on her plan or she runs slower than she knows she should have, I guess, according to the plan. And so that her work schedule is really messing with her sleep. And then so sometimes lack of sleep makes her too tired to run, which also gives her anxiety. So she kind of plaintively asks, why can't I just take a step back and quit worrying about everything so much? And by everything, I think she means the, the missed runs, the slower runs, the, you know, having to blow a run off because of opting to sleep instead. Yeah, you know, I've, I've worked with a lot of um, emergency room doctors, anesthesiologists, you know, healthcare workers. It's, it's a really tough crowd because they don't sleep. It's a very, very anxious job and high demands and they're on their feet and they really can't take care of themselves. So my advice to you is going to be just be kind to yourself. This is a really unique time for healthcare workers. And whether you miss a run or run slower, it, it, it won't impact the outcome of what you're trying to get from running, which is just most likely being healthy, enjoying yourself, taking care of yourself. So I would say just get out there, be kind to yourself and try not to judge yourself during the test. Just, just let yourself be and let yourself do what you can. And on days you're just not feeling up to it. It's okay to take a rest day. It's also just okay to go for a, a walk and, mm -hmm. you know, just, just be kind to yourself through the process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so kind of on the flip side of that is a question from Britt, who says, what if your brain and heart are yearning for a stress relief, but your body feels like it needs a rest day, or maybe your training plan says rest day. So, and she says, and please do not tell me to take a bubble bath. So, <laughs> <laughs> so no bubble bath okay. advice. Fine. Well, Britt, I'm really, I'm really feeling you here because I struggle with rest days as well. And if someone told me to take a rest day and sit on the couch and watch Netflix, I think I would have a panic attack because I cannot sit still. So I suspect we're cut from the same cloth there. Um, I would challenge her to redefine what rest day means. It, does she think oh. it means that you just have to do nothing? Um, I would say that, you know, think about some activities that you find restful or even restorative. And that might be mm. some light cross training or going for a walk with a friend or vigorously cleaning your house is what I like to do <laughs> on my rest days. Uh, just because it's, you know, it, you're still moving around and you're also checking something off of the to-do list. So I would, you know, look at your definition of rest day. Um, and then on the other side of it, you know, depending on what her goals are, if her goals are just health and activity, then stay busy on your rest days. But if the goal is for performance and that rest day is there to let her body recover and adapt to the training that she's putting herself through, then I would view it as just another day of quote unquote training that you need to check to get to your end goal. So mm -hmm. it's, it's part of the plan. It's, you know, and, and maybe she'll find some, uh, some solace in, in that knowing that it, it actually is training. It's just a non-training day. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'd like you, Liz, to talk about your WIN mantra, yeah. W-I-N, what it stands for, how to use and how to utilize it, especially these days. Sure. So WIN uh, is something I read somewhere. I can't really take credit for it. But, but WIN is something that uh, stands for what's important now. This is a great refocusing strategy that I will use in a workout, in a race. You know, you're out there in a race and you're getting tired or um, it's starting to feel hard or it starts raining or something. And you're thinking, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. Like I, and that win strategy, asking yourself what's important now focuses you on the moment because all we can do is control the moment we're in. We can't mm -hmm. control what's coming ahead at mile 18 of the run. It's just mm -hmm. this moment. These, these footsteps, what do I need to do now? Do I need to slow down? Do I need to take a walk break? Do I need to drink a little more, eat a little more? So I really like this strategy, you know, this, this win mantra. And, and then it, it gives us that like little feeling of, okay, I just did something and I'm still moving forward. So that just feels good inside. And it, it helps you like build on your success. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I mean, I think that immediately translates over to regular life. You yeah. know, the, the hearing you talk about, I think about, you know, one day at a time and what, you know, when your face just buttressed by, you know, a, a job deadline and your kids on, you know, remote learning and the needing to go to the grocery store and all that stuff. It's like, no, no, no. What's important now? Maybe I have enough stuff in the pantry that I can cobble together a dinner. So, you know, grocery shopping can wait until tomorrow. So... <laughs> Exactly. Um, You're just, you know, it's, it's, it's almost a way to triage your life. Okay. What needs my immediate <laughs> attention here? And when you look at it like that, you know, you can't help but make the, the right choice. Oh my gosh. A little, I've taken back to MASH. You're probably too young to have watched MASH. <laughs> no, no, come on. Hot, hot Lips Houlihan. <laughs> no, that's what, exactly I who that I thought stuff. of when you said triaging your life. I'm like, Hot Lips. And there's Alan Alda coming into the screen. <laughs> Does no one else triage their life? That's because you don't have young kids anymore. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, I, I tell you the, you know, one of the reasons I brought you on was like, oh, she's got young kids. But then I just keep thinking, you know, little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. This and, is true. This, <laughs> so, I know it's so. only going to get worse. I know I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to hope for these problems five years from now. Right, right. So talk to the hand about the problems that your four-year-old is having. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. So I want us to end with an anecdote from Cynthia, who was at our last retreat, which was, uh, no, our second, our penultimate um, <laughs> retreat, our Cape Cod of uh, October, 2019. And so I have to say that Cynthia like you're going to tell the anecdote, but I have to say that she got a tattoo of butterflies on her forearm on that trip because of kind of this whole way of thinking of things. So take it away, Liz. That's a lot of pressure. I feel like now every time I talk to someone, they're going to show up with a tattoo. <laughs> yeah. Right? Oh, maybe I should watch my words. Oh my gosh, I just said. I think I Liz talked to a I think I talked to, uh, back. who did I talk to? What was our last retreat? Hilton Head? I talked to Alana. Head, yeah. I want to know mm -hmm. what Alana's yeah. tattoo is. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Special shout out to Alana. Okay. Alana rhymes Alana. with banana. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. It's okay, right. Liz. I mean, Liz, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
anyhow, we were, uh, we were doing our little one-to-one sessions and Cynthia was talking about her race coming up and she was nervous like most of us. And and even myself, before I get on any start line, I've done over 200 races. I still feel the butterflies in my stomach. And, And that's what she said. And, you know, I told her that you'll never get rid of that anxiety. And in fact, it's, kind of a good sign that you're ready, that you're plugged in, engaged, and you care about the outcome. And I told her something that I had read uh, many years ago, and it said, you don't want to get rid of the butterflies. You just want to get them in formation to fly. Mm -hmm. So use those butterflies as a signal of I'm ready. What do I need to do now? Okay. I'm going to stand on the start line, drink a little water. Did I take my pre-race gel? You know, I'm going to look ahead. Uh, And so just, just make those butterflies for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, we are going to end the interview part on that. Make those butterflies work for you. Um, and if, if it's something other than butterflies, maybe think twice about getting a tattoo of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what would be great if someone got a banana after I told them to have a pre-grace banana? <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like, wait, Oh, that's a banana? Because it kind of looks like something else. <laughs> Get your money back on that tattoo. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I went there. I went there. All right. Um, so, well, um, speaking of races, uh, we are going to be, I don't even know if you know this, Liz. Um, we're going to be debuting a virtual 5K event for people to do on New Year's Eve. Um, yes, it was that an idea fun. I had. I'm very excited. Um, so we are still hammering out the details on that, but um, keep your eyes peeled for it on our Facebook page, which is another mother runner, on our Instagram feed, which is at the mother runner for details, or better yet, to hear about this virtual 5K event that's going to be done on New Year's Eve. Sign up to receive our twice a week newsletter so you catch all our news and deals and new merch that we have and, and everything and all the show notes for the podcast. So to sign up for our newsletter, go to anothermotherrunner.com slash subscribe. Again, that's anothermotherrunner.com slash subscribe. Liz, I'm so delighted to have you as a member of the co-host cadre, as I like to call you all. So thank you. Thank you. And um, you're hired. I'll, I'll have... That's, you know, that, that was your interview. That, that means a lot because I mean, I had a lot of anxiety about this. In fact, I'm going to turn this off and go deep breathe in my closet for a few times. Oh so I'm really happy to hear I made the cut. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Oh my goodness. All right. Our podcast today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures, Many Happy Miles. Oh.